Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How's your heart today? How's your soul? Just checking in. I mean, it is 2021 by now. I mean, hopefully. Or maybe you're listening to this in the way future. I don't know. Anyway, I know it's 2021, but I'm guessing that we are not out of the pandemic yet. And there's still a lot of stress happening. It's winter. And in Chicago, in January, it gets pretty bleak and dark. So I just wanted to take a second to invite you to check in with your heart. See how you're doing. How you feeling. Take a deep breath. And just be here with me today. So I'm Sarah Bueno. If you've been here before, you know me. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago, and this podcast is all about talking with old friends, new friends, and friends I haven't met yet about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. And before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to invite you, if you are a fan of this podcast and have listened more than once and you want to contribute something to the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. Patreon is a place where you can donate to artists and makers and healers and all sorts of peoples. And you can find us as conversation with the Wounded Healer. And you can contribute as little as a dollar a month and truly every little bit helps. So thank you. Also, another big help that costs nothing and it's totes free is to rate and review us on Apple Podcast. And as I've said before, if you make me laugh when I read your review, I will read it on the air. OMG, and you'll be super famous. Not really, but it'll be fun. So Rate and review, please. Now let me introduce you to Annie Schusler. So Annie is a business coach and the host of the Rebel Therapist podcast. With her Rebel Therapist programs, she helps therapists, healers, and coaches make an impact beyond a traditional private practice. And you can find her resources at rebeltherapist.me. So please enjoy myself and Annie falling in love with each other for the first time. (laughs) Hello, Annie Schusler. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, too. And we've already been talking for 20 minutes. But (laughs) (laughs) before I say anything, just tell people who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I am Annie. I go by she or they. And I am a white, cis, queer woman. I live in San Francisco. The thing I do is I help visionaries and especially visionaries who are healers to create businesses where they're really doing the work that they're meant to do and getting themselves the hell out there and like not hiding from the people who need them. Brilliant. And you have such a beautiful elevator speech. Thank you. I don't think I've ever said that before, though, but. (laughs) And that's even better because it's an authentic elevator speech, right? (laughs) Like knowing your stuff so well that it just plops out of your mouth beautifully. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So we quote unquote met via email via my editor, Andrea, and she sent an email and she always sends me great people. Honestly, like through her, I've met some really 
important people who've done important things in my life. It's really cool. So every time she sends me somebody, I'm like, okay, this is serious. I click on your website. And I think I told you 0.2 seconds, I was already in love with you. And you replied back and you're like, let's be friends and talk. And I was like, but let's just let's interview and do the whole all of it. So not only do I want to advertise you and and share your work with the world, but I just want to know you. So we're just going to have fun getting to know each other today. Amazing. I love that. Yay. So how does a therapist, I'm assuming you started with a regular therapy practice at some point. How does a therapist become a visionary healer helper? So I always had this interest in business from the time I was really little. Like when I was, yeah, when I was babysitting, I had business cards that I made out of. No, you did not. Like I I wrote (laughs) them out and- I would hand them to neighbors. And then I had like a filing system where I was oh my God. tracking each family and what my rate was that they were paying me and what wow. my net profit was from each family. Like I liked the kids too, but like the business <laughs> side was really interesting. That is fabulous. <laughs> and then I think like in being a dyke and a feminist, I still have always been interested in business and I I ran a restaurant with a couple of friends years ago. So it always came up, but the business side I think has always felt tricky to me because oppression and capitalism and greed. And so I think I had really thought of it as a contradiction, like to be a person who values social justice and healing And then is really fascinated with business and really likes business and likes helping people make good money. And something has happened over these years in running my own business and figuring out how to have success as a therapist and to create a really aligned and profitable business. And then just naturally I fell into helping my friends and colleagues with their businesses because I was always geeking out on it and I was always wanting to talk about it and to help them grow their businesses. And then something happened in becoming a business coach where I started to realize that these things don't have to be a contradiction and that in actually building these ethical micro businesses where we're giving true value And we're really honoring people in the biggest way that I don't even feel like there's a contradiction anymore. So that's been a really great part of this journey for me. And I just closed my therapy practice actually this spring. And I loved, loved, loved the people I was working with. And it was the right time to do it and to just double down on one business and, you know, one project in a really big way. Mm-hmm. I love what you just said in terms of it's not a contradiction to be a successful business person if you're in the healing profession, because I don't know if you had this experience in school, but I'm, I'm a social worker. And so especially I think. Oh, yeah. So you really had this experience. Yeah. Right. Right. Of <laughs> Yeah. You graduate from school expecting to never make any money. 
And of course, that is true in social services. And I mean, Jesus, if I had it my way, we would literally flip everything on its head and teachers, social workers and nurses would make the most money. And yes, <laughs> right. But obviously, that's not how our world works because we don't unfortunately value health and wellness. That's so stupid. So just thinking yeah. about what I've organically tried to create for myself was that like, I want this business to be client centered and smart at the same time, right? Like, mm -hmm. obviously, we have to make money so we can pay our bills and we can pay our staff and people feel like they're getting a living wage and all that. But it also needs to be client centered and social justice oriented and all those things. And it's not easy to do in the context of our capitalistic society. So it's just brilliant that that's your that's your forward focus for people. Yeah. An example that's been coming up lately for some of my clients has been BetterHelp. Fuck that shit. Talkspace, yeah. BetterHelp, fuck yeah. you guys. Go on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fuck y'all. Because as people are just starting out, sometimes mm -hmm. they ask me like, hey, should I like jump into BetterHelp or something nope. like that so that I can just like get started? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. No, like this is a very unnecessary use of business. Like this is a concentration of resources that doesn't need to happen. Like everything. Sure. Get on directories. Like there are times when it's efficient mm -hmm. to be in a big organization. Check out Therapy Den. Like go for it. Mm -hmm. Inclusive Therapist Network. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. But there's no necessary thing that BetterHelp is doing that you can't do as a micro business where you're going to be keeping that profit for yourself and then therefore able to take care of yourself, able right. to get all the training and healing and vacation and all those things that you need to then give back even more. Like, right. don't hand that to BetterHelp. Well, and should we kind of pull back the curtain? <laughs> because I, I, the thing that pisses me off, I keep hearing BetterHelp specifically advertised on a lot of podcasts. Yes. And I want people, especially therapists who are listening to this to understand, because I think a lot of people are like, well, it's just access to care. But it's like the Uber of therapy in that it's not really taking care of the therapist. So do you want to share what what you know about it? I don't know a lot about it. I just get pissed because I know that those services are already available. And there are, I bet you're going to know more organizations, but like one I know of right off the bat is Open Path, where mm -hmm. you can access affordable care mm -hmm. in different ways where you're working directly with a therapist and not supporting that huge organization, that huge right. corporation. Right. And in this case, there isn't a need for that infrastructure to be able to serve at the highest level. And right. so I think the more I hear those ads on all these podcasts I love, the more I'm like, mm -hmm. no, thank you. And I want to like tell healers not mm -hmm. to do it. Like don't right. go in that direction. You're, you're not going to I mean, I have heard the rates that people are getting paid and that's not going to allow you to take care of yourself the way that you need to take exactly. care of yourself. If you want to do some lower fee sessions, totally do it. That could absolutely be part of a healthy and joyful mm -hmm. and profitable business, but you don't mm -hmm. need to do it through that channel. 
Well, and the thing that I've heard from from people who have done it is that the requirement that the therapist has on their end to keep engaged with the client is unrealistic mm. and the the caseload that they are expected to have is unrealistic. So there's a if you're just having like a text client, so to speak, which if anyone is listening to this, you can't do text therapy. That's not a fucking thing. And I understand millennials and zennials and all people younger than that want that. But that's not a thing. It just doesn't mm -hmm. work like that. But if the client doesn't need it, the therapist still has to work and try to get the client engaged over text. Mm. So it's not therapy. You're you're trolling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's what it is. And I've also read several articles that talk about their privacy practices and that they're gleaning information from people via these sites in not so savory ways and potentially sharing that information with people who have no right to have it. So it's predatory. And there are organizations who've been trying to take them down, but of course, it's a giant fucking corporation and they go after individuals who are trying to help and call attention to this. So it's a really fucking sticky situation. So therapists do not do it. There are better ways, just like Annie said, so many other opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I have free resources for therapists and so do a lot of other people, free resources for therapists who want to build their private practice on their own, under their own umbrella. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, I did not know that. And yeah. that it does not surprise me though. Right. I mean, that is like the worst of capitalism, right? Being mm -hmm. a predator and preying on people are vulnerable right now and yeah. people really fucking need help. Not to say that people can't find a good therapist because I've heard like, oh, I found my therapist here. And then, you know, I saw them outside. It should be easier for people to know how to get therapy. Why is it a secret, right? Working with addiction, I work with a lot of higher levels of care and I've helped people get into higher levels of, of care. And had I not been a therapist, I wouldn't know how to do that. Had I, had I not been an addiction therapist, I wouldn't know how to do that. These systems are not built for people to access them. They're built around like they have castles and their moats around them, making mm. it so difficult. I'm sorry. I am soapboxing right now so hard. <laughs> You hit an area that I'm on fire for at the moment. Yeah. The good thing for me is it's really made me think about, okay, what do I want to help people build? Because I don't yes. want to help anyone build the next better help. Right. So it's been helpful in thinking about what are the businesses and what are not the businesses. And for example, I do want to help people build a certain kind of empire. Yes. And I don't know if that word is fucked up or not, but I do want to help people build something big and awesome and impossible. And that's of a very high value and that mm -hmm. is client-centered and that mm -hmm. is really existing because it's a vision that, that needs to exist in the world and it needs to exist for the client. And it's also going to bring joy to the healer. Like all of that I'm totally here for. And there's a certain level of empire I'm not interested in helping people build. And that's where, yeah, it starts to be predatory. It starts to be where you're extracting the value of other people's work for only your own gain. Like those things, I don't think anybody would really get confused and hire me for that anyway. <laughs> right. but, <laughs> but it's right. clarifying. I don't help people who are building a business around weight loss goal. For example, right. and I have mm -hmm. that right out there in my application process that 
I'm not the ultimate judge of what people should be doing, but I also know what my role is and what I can get really excited about and joyfully help someone do. Like literally, as soon as I stop record on this, we're going to talk about me hiring you because everything that you're saying right now is what I need. (laughs) But outside of that, I'm so deeply feeling your vibe. Your heart is so evident and out there for me. And I'm, I'm wanting to dig more into you and how you stepped into like who you really are. So how did you become this? Like, how did how did you get to this place where your sunshine is clearly radiating for the world to see? Ooh, the Volneys. Oh, my God. Oh, the Volneys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love you so much. <sighs> so I definitely have always been a sensitive person and a person who analyzed everything going on around me. I had this nickname as a as an adolescent that was analyzer cuz you know hmm. Annie Annie who analyzes analyzer like I couldn't leave anything alone. I was hmm. always wanting to go deeper into conversations and find out what was really going on. Like how are you hmm. really and allergic to small talk, allergic to mm-hmm kind of the bullshit in conversations. You and I were just talking about where I spent my adolescence and it was in the North Shore, the suburbs of Chicago. So that's a place that really, at least at that time, was very built on appearances. Still is. (laughs) Yeah, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the more analytical and the more sensitive parts of me, I had to keep very quiet and to Mm -hmm. like really feel shame about and to feel like it would be better to hide those things. And so I guess a big part of it is coming out as Mm. a 19 year old. Mm, So 19. Wow. Yeah. Like realizing, I mean, oh my God, if you look back on it, it's like pretty obvious with the <laughs> kinds of friendships I, I everybody had. says. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. The intensity of my friendships. Mm-hmm. But coming out was definitely a huge liberation around more than sexuality of just mm-hmm. being myself and bringing all of those parts into the world and to my relationships mm-hmm. and just going deeper and deeper into the kinds of conversations that I want to be having. What is your Enneagram? Four. <laughs> yeah. When you were talking earlier about the business stuff, I was like one. But then as soon as you were like deep conversation, four. <laughs> I'm a three and I've been very much leaning into a four wing lately. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. What's the difference between the three and the four? Three is we're very achievement focused mm. and also very quick processors mm-hmm. and like performer, star, always out front sort of thing. Okay. That makes sense. And I wonder if you're a three wing. Definitely. And I, I love to support people who have that really like shiny and exciting kind of energy. I really love to like step into that and then step back out of it, but to support people in that role. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. That's really cool. What are your signs? I don't remember all of it. I'm a Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, there's the business stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. 
I think there's just such a journey of things that I used to feel ashamed about, like being so Mm. sensitive, being so craving of depth. And then also, like I already mentioned, feeling shame at different times for this business head and this like desire to really geek out on business and numbers and even on profit and business models are like so sexy to me. (laughs) Analyzing that stuff. So... And your wife comes home and you're like, let me analyze your spreadsheets. Yeah. Holy shit. Yes. She opened her own business just a little over a year ago. She's a neon sign maker. What? Wait, what? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so that's been really fun and intense and getting to like be in her business with her. That's so cool. (laughs) She's like, whoa, look at you go. Okay. That is so cute. Oh, man. Well, do you, because you said you work with healers and support Mm -hmm. healers and put them out there. Do you consider yourself a healer? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially when I'm at my best and when I'm doing the work that feels the most important to me, I absolutely Mm -hmm. am a healer. And it's about shame, helping people heal their shame and It's about letting in the good, healing these kinds of things with entrepreneurs. So it'll sometimes start where what we're talking about is something very nerdy and nitty gritty, like pricing or a launch approach of like how you're going to sell your offer, something geeky like that. But really quickly, we will hit on something that is really a mindset piece. We'll hit on something that's about shame or that's about like, who am I to do this? Who am I to charge this? Am I going to annoy people or like getting feedback and letting that negativity bias that we all hold show us only the negative part of the feedback? These are the things that come up whenever we're working on our businesses. And this is the piece that I love getting to work with both sides of that. Like, yeah, let's look at your spreadsheet and, oh, okay, good. Yes. We're in some shame work now and let's do that. And let's really acknowledge that so that you can actually move forward in the way that you're meant to move forward. Yeah. So I think that's kind of my zone of genius is stepping between those two things. And I do think of that as healing work. 100%. And I, I'm resonating with what you're saying so deeply. And I have said those things to my consultant and Mm -hmm. what I've made up for myself, because I told you before I started, I decided not to have kids. And truthfully, part of it was I knew I wasn't going to be able to tolerate some of the changes that were going to happen. Like there was something about what would happen to me as a result of trying to help a human be a human, Mm -hmm. but fuck me. That's what my business did to me instead. So (laughs) all of the shit that you're talking about with this shame, like I I feel, I feel so much like I am the parent of my business and I've had those similar experiences through being a business owner. And it's challenged me before I became a business owner. I really truly never stuck with anything that I wasn't good at. Mm. And this was the first time that I've had to really face a lot of shit I'm really not good at. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what, what comes up? What are you thinking of when you say things you're not good at? Well, one of my biggest hurdles that I finally feel like I'm on the other side of was learning how to be a manager. And there's a whole host of stuff with that. But I was trying to create a space where people would want to stay. And so from a psychological perspective, it's all about my fucking family. It's all it was all this desire to recreate something that I didn't have, be the mother that I never had, make this place where people are always going to want to stay. And what I didn't understand for a really long time, I understood it logically, but not in my heart that people are going to leave, not because Mm. they don't love me, not because I'm not creating a space, but because people leave (laughs) because there is a life cycle for a therapist in a group practice that eventually everybody leaves. Not all at once, hopefully, knock on wood. But mm-hmm. so part of it for me has been this learning of finally understanding that people will leave and it has nothing to do with me, and also learning how to hire people who work best with me, not just people who are good therapists or people that I like, but people who work well with my management style yes. and the culture that we've created. Yes. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And mm-hmm. it makes me think it's not necessarily something you're not good at, but like something that you had to learn. I wasn't intuitively good at. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. That makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something going on in a cohort that I'm running right now is we just did a module on how to set up your marketing. And one of the things that I recommend people do is to write a weekly email. Not for every business, but for the kinds of businesses (laughs) that people are running, are creating Mm -hmm. in this program. Mm -hmm. And that's a place where people Mm -hmm. hit something like they hit an obstacle about like, do I have enough to say? Can I stick with it? Like, maybe I'll just give up. Even though like they've created a huge vision that really matters to them and they want to serve and they know that this is the thing they're meant to do. Like that for some people, it's the weekly email that will make them get tempted to just walk away And then there's some logistical advice I can give about making it easier, but so much of it is mindset work of like, let's work through that, that fear and that overwhelm and create something that feels really aligned for you. Well, I also, I'm curious now about your own journey of working through your shame, because I feel like- You're so good at like, I don't even (laughs) notice I'm doing it. You're like, Annie, back to you. I'm like, oh yeah. And, and, and it's, <laughs> I think what you're saying is brilliant. And I want, I want all that too, because I think listeners need to hear that. But on the surface, just saying like, oh, we can't walk somebody through what we have been through ourselves. Oh, that's fucking true. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a really deep layer of that, that I can mm-hmm. tell that you've really walked that talk. So tell us about your, your journey of grappling with shame and where you are with it now. Yeah. One part of it that feels like it's related to this whole like writing weekly emails thing is Mm -hmm. having figured out, like having stuck with the relationship that I have with my content has taught me so much. Like I used to Hmm. write a blog article every week and that used to kick my ass. Like it used to just kick my ass to be like, that is a practice. Like I need to have that done every week. I need to stick with the practice of writing and creating. And it kicked my ass in a way of having faith that I had something to say, having faith that the more that I put out there, the more ideas would come to me. And I found that to absolutely be true. 
And then in switching over my content to a podcast, again, I really had to grapple with that as well as putting my actual voice out there, like putting my Mm. actual voice out there into the world every week and reaching out to healers and having conversations with healers and entrepreneurs. And it put me over and over again into this edge of worthiness, just like, are you worthy to take up this space? Are you worthy to ask this person to be on your podcast? Or are you worthy to kind of share what you've got to say in every single episode? Mm -hmm. So those pieces of shame, I feel like are, I don't know, just like, I mean, I am a parent, I have two kids, so that's kicked my ass as Mm -hmm. well. But I am really grateful for the business and putting myself out there, what that's required Mm -hmm. of me has been healing, has been really challenging. And then because I refused to give up and because I kept showing up every time has really required healing. What helped you turn the corner in that? How did you go from questioning yourself and worrying about whether or not you were worthy to, or have you arrived at a place? And I know it's not like... I've arrived and everything's good now forevermore. But have you arrived at a place where you more so trust that you're worthy? I am arriving there. I feel like Mm. I'm arriving there in a way of looking at like, I am worthy because I'm the only person who's me. Like I'm worthy because I'm Mm. the only person who's got like my very particular combination of weird history and passion and geekiness and the very particular way that I have it and being able to see that I am the right person to lead Mm. the people who have needed me and like to facilitate their growth. And so that's actually been my motto for 2020 before any of us knew what 2020 would be Mm -hmm. like was assume worthiness. And so that's been just a phrase that I've come back to over and over and over again this year to push myself forward and like, what would you do? How would you behave? What risks would you take if you assumed worthiness in this situation? So I feel like it's not that I've arrived, but I feel like Mm -hmm. I am committed to that (laughs) journey. Mm. And that's the hard part, right? Like taking it in and truly believing it Mm -hmm. is that's the hard piece. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited for you, though. It sounds, yeah. I keep getting to this point recently in interviews, and I think Mm -hmm. it's like my own shift in understanding of myself and whatever, but I keep getting to this place where I'm struggling to find language. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think it's not because I'm having a cognitive processing (laughs) issue, but more of like the feelings that I'm feeling are beyond language at this Mm -hmm. point, and I'm feeling very deeply everything that you're saying. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like the way that you're asking questions, there isn't really a way to not answer them. (laughs) (laughs) You're a really good interviewer. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's funny. But being a therapist helps one be a really good interviewer. And I'm also a performer. So put those Mm. two things together and yeah, we have a magical podcast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And you obviously have like a part of your zone of genius is about connection and like 
Mm. We didn't have to do, I mean, we talked about some things that I guess people talk about in small talk, but I didn't feel like we started with small talk. So, right. Yeah. I mean, pretty much get two therapists in a conversation and we're going to be like, okay, let's your trauma like really quickly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I guess not all therapists though. It's funny because I tend to assume everybody's like me and then I get sometimes very sadly disappointed Mm -hmm. when I realize that they're not. So when I do finally find that person like you, I'm just like, (laughs) so I have to ask the wounded healer question. How do you feel about that term in terms of who you are and your, your stuff? It's just perfect. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I feel like I'm really grateful to my former struggling self, like back when Mm. I was suicidal, back when I was really super miserable and hadn't found my people yet. Like I'm really Mm. grateful Mm. to her for staying alive. And I'm, I'm so grateful to her for like holding on to that little bit of spark of, no, something's not quite right here. Like we're going to keep looking. And I do think that having that former self really helps me be a healer. I don't know who I would be without that. I'm tearing up over here because that feels like I feel that same gratitude. And I maybe, you know what, now that I'm saying it out loud, maybe this is part of my shift into experiencing shame in a different way now that I used to really, I used to judge her and blame her and feel ashamed of her. And, and just hearing you talk about, yeah, like, thank God we had that experience and, or not God, whatever, um, just to figure speech, but yeah, I'm just feeling so deeply gratitude for her. Mm-hmm. And so I get that. And I literally felt exactly the same. And I didn't have the words for it then, but just feeling like I don't belong here. And so at the time, the only answer was, well, there must be something wrong with me, right? And God, I can only imagine in the North Shore that, that <laughs> yeah, for folks who are not from Chicago, the North Shore, and this, my husband's from the North Shore, so it's okay. I'm allowed to talk about it like this, but there's just so much superficiality and Mean Girls was, you know, written after Nutrier High School. Which was, I didn't know that. You didn't? Okay. No, yeah. Well, like, like literally Tina Fey went there too, right? I'm pretty sure. Oh, But it's Jesus. written about Nutrier. That makes sense. Right. And all the John Hughes movies. If So yeah. people who are my age, like yes. I'm about to be 49. All those John Hughes movies. Right. Came from there. <laughs> well, I'm also thinking this is kind of irrelevant to what we're talking about, but relevant at the same time. Adolescence itself is such a challenging experience and put on top of that, then the family trauma, right? Because if you are a weird adolescent, as I was, and sounds like you were too in our in our beautiful ways, and we're not feeling connected to our community, if we would have gone home and had somebody say, oh, Annie, you're beautiful just the way you are in a real way, right? Like my mom would say that shit, but it wasn't, it wasn't real. It wasn't true. She didn't call me Annie, though. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But to not have trauma on top Mm -hmm. of what's already just a hard developmental process for a human, that's my hope. Like, your children get that, right? Like, your children get the experience of going through adolescence, having a parent who actually sees them and loves them and gets them. 
this is how we change the world, right? I think so. I also, if there are any other, would be weird if there were no other parents listening. It would be weird, yeah. It would be so weird. <laughs> this is a weird coincidence. Yeah. I only take um, non-breeders <laughs> as listeners. Sorry. <laughs> well, I feel like some bad news for me and for my kids and for a lot of humanity is that like even being like a really available parent who's done a lot of their own deep work, that life is still sometimes miserable. Mm-hmm. That is such bad news. So I just wanted to add that in there. <laughs> right. Of course. Yes. Not everything is unicorns and rainbows if you have a good parent. Of course. I thought it was. I just didn't no. understand. But they still have their own struggles and their own pain. But yeah. Right. So, but then the good news is like, just like we know as therapists, it doesn't take all the pain away, but it helps. Mm-hmm. Having really deep relationships helps people manage their pain and helps them hold their pain differently. And that's everything. Pain is less painful when you have other people in it with you. Right. So I'm trained in NARM, Neuroaffective Relational Model, which Mm. there's like a base in San Francisco. So maybe you're familiar? No, not really. Okay. I should be. So the listeners know all about it because I talk about it constantly. So it's all about developmental trauma and our relationship with ourselves was damaged because we had to choose attachment over authenticity. And Mm -hmm. just thinking about if I was a child who didn't have to make that choice, who could like really choose my authentic self, not in a narcissistic way. Right. Because I think like the self-esteem movement flipped the other side of the coin and is what has created a lot of narcissism, but in a really authentic way, choosing myself, being allowed to choose myself, not being objectified by my parent, not having that developmental trauma. There's an actual foundation to build oneself on and can support healing from the pain that happens just from being a human. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. From the pain that's inevitable, plus racism, mm-hmm. plus transphobia, all mm-hmm, the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The world is changing, isn't it? I mean, I feel when I have conversations like this, it reminds me that there are so many people out there that I don't know that feel mm-hmm. this way, that vibe this way, you know, and it's been so hard under a Trump presidency to remember that, right? Seeing 50% less than 50% of the country. Um, (laughs) I'm not uh, gloating at all. (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm feeling very like ethereal and expansive right now in terms of conversations like this, helping bring people together to move us forward. Yeah. And I think you've created an ecosystem with your business where you get to help people who are listening to this podcast, who are working with you in different ways, like you get to help really strengthen that other reality Mm. of the world that we're building. Thank you. And that's what you're doing too, right? I feel like you are the general of a really beautiful army that's Mm. like love rainbows and unicorns, right? And you're like helping strategically place people in a way so that they can help more people and raise more vibration and get everybody on this collective healing train. Yes, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want. Fuck, like, yes, where they're serving in the ways that they're really uniquely designed or just positioned to yeah. serve. Yeah. So 
all the questions that I want to ask you are like literally so big. It's like, do we have time for these? But is there any particular project or particular type of business owner that you're working with right now that's really lighting you up and making you so excited? Absolutely. So it's like almost like deciding which of your children you will mention. <laughs> like, <laughs> she loves you all equally. I don't love anybody more than anybody else, but I'll just name like a couple of examples. Like there is a woman named Kim Patwian and what a beautiful name. And I know. And I think I pronounced it right, but I may have messed it up. And so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll practice again, but she is running a program for parents and it's mm. for, you know, parents who are overwhelmed, parents who really want to be anti-racist mm-hmm. and who need to find the way to parent with their values. Mm. And so she's running a coaching program for parents. And there's so many other people. There's somebody who is creating an awesome program for couples who are engaged and are creating their ceremonies. And so this, yeah, so this person is a minister who is helping people to, like, she knows what goes into an amazing ceremony. And so she's helping people to create that themselves in a really meaningful way. There's somebody else who used to be a corrections officer herself, and now she is helping women corrections officers to take care of each other and themselves. Oh, yes. We need that so much, right? So much. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't do that work. Like that's not my place in the constellation of the world, but it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. So there's so many examples, but like that's the stuff where it's like, Somebody knows what is incredibly valuable and the kind of transformation that they want to help create. And they step into this process of creating it. Brilliant. So if somebody wanted to hire you, and I don't know anybody appointing myself, (laughs) what does that process look like? So if there are people listening who are like, I need to call her immediately, what does this look like? So the main way that people get started in working with me is through this process that's called create your program. Cause I really strongly believe that for most entrepreneurs, the best way to get started with your next step is to do a pilot program of it mm. and to get started quickly with something brilliant and that's uniquely yours and is designed to use your gifts and deliver transformation And so a pilot program can be a workshop or an intensive or a coaching program or a course. It really depends on the entrepreneur. So the process of that we go through over those five weeks is getting really clear on your niche, Hmm. helping you craft the program itself, and then helping you actually sell it to people. So it moves pretty quickly and it's intense and it brings up the mindset issues that we were just talking about. So that's the main way to work with me. And then the other ways are for people who have already done that. They've already got a business really beyond a traditional private practice going. Then I have a mastermind program where people can go deeper, grow their audience, you know, hit all of that delicious stuff that we talked about, Mm -hmm. about really putting yourself out there in a big way and growing. 
And then I also have a program for people who are therapists in private practice and they just want to grow their private practice in a really aligned way and serve people and make decent money and not work for better help. Right. <laughs> you know what you do energetically and I imagine you've thought about this, but I, I don't know if you've put a finger on it, but what you do so beautifully and the mentors that I've resonated most with do as well is you create a space next to you mm. instead of creating like the sense that I'm getting from you is that a person who works with you feels just as connected to you as Sam, who's sitting next to them on the Zoom screen. Right. And being somebody who has a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom, it can be easy to put ourselves in this like one down position. Like mm. I'm the teacher, I'm the boss, like I will give you this wisdom. You're really like drawing it so clearly with people instead of bestowing it upon them. And it's just, you're just hitting all the right things. <laughs> oh, thank you. Wow. That's wonderful to hear. And it's also making me realize that the more confident I get that I can help mm. people, the more yes. I'm positioning myself. Yes. That like, yes, I can really help you shorten your learning curve and like get there faster. So I feel very confident about that. And so my just natural way of working when I'm at my best is so much more like helping people find their answers and mm -hmm. actually drawing them often from the group. Like I only work in small groups. I don't mm -hmm. do one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. because there is so much wisdom in the group yes. and there's always something people need to hear from another group member. And then I do a ton of one-on-one -on -one in those groups where like I give unlimited one-on-one -on -one coaching while the program's going on, but I don't do it on its own anymore because it doesn't put me in my zone of genius. I really need to work with you. There's so many things. So I will be signing up for a group immediately when this is over, but we're coming to the end of the hour, but we're going to keep talking. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you definitely want listeners to hear? Well, I guess there's something that I've been thinking a lot about how capitalism fits into our lives. Mm -hmm. And I have another project that I'm working on that has nothing to do with money or business <laughs> and kind of falls outside of capitalism. I have another podcast. It's called Listening to Adoptees that I co-host with. So I'm an adoptive parent and my co-host is an adult adoptee, obviously mm. not my child. <laughs> and <laughs> We interview adult adoptees about their experiences and about their advice for adoptive parents. Wow. And I freaking love this project and mm. I learned so much from it. And it feels significant that it falls outside of capitalism because mm. I really want to be successful and I really want my clients to be successful and not everything is for sale. And like we can do incredibly valuable things Sometimes within capitalism, sometimes outside of it. What's the name again? Listening to Adoptees. Beautiful. I actually have a friend I'm going to send your way who Ooh. would probably be a great guest. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. Annie, what a treasure. You are a treasure. I'm so glad we met. Oh, my God. Thank you. 
Andrea always makes fun of me because I often like fall in love with my guests and, and we have this little love fest at the end. So she's totally going to make fun of me for this too, but I'm like totally in it's love with you. It's an amazing superpower. I love it. I right? love it. And I love you too. Thank and you. I, I just heard this thing yesterday that like the steps, and I don't know who to credit it to. I didn't hear who to credit it to, but with accepting compliments, mm. the first step is saying thank you. And then the second stage is thank you. I appreciate that. And then the third stage is thank you. Tell me more. I'm like, Ooh. I'm not at tell me more with anybody except my wife. I'm oh, my wife and I are both always like, tell me more. Aww. But that's some place to get to. That is a lovely aspiration. Yes. And thank you so much for, well, thank you for seeing me and for also so quickly letting me see you too. Mm, it is a pleasure. Wasn't that an awesome conversation? I love when I make new friends instantly and I just kind of sort of knew Annie was going to be that person. So thanks for joining us for our conversation today. To learn more about Annie, you can look up all her amazing goodies on my website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder in the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.